Second John chapter 1, although it's much shorter than 1 John, it repeats um, some of the same key doctrines and themes as 1 John. It's addressed to a different audience, and this audience is described as an elect lady and her children in verse 1. This elect lady could simply be the church, uh, because the Greek term for church is feminine. And as we can see from other scriptures, it is common um, and uh, has been common throughout the scriptures to personify the church as a woman. It's also possible that John is addressing his own family in this epistle and that this elect lady um, is his wife and her children are his children. And that also could be true. There's also scholarship that suggests that this elect lady is a specific woman by the name of Kyria, K-Y-R-I-A. And so, and, and actually the word Kyria means lady. So it's a, a little tough to tell, but um, it's not um, for us to worry about because it's our job, of course, to take the teachings that are in this and, and um, to, to bring them into our own minds and hearts and for us to be good ground for the seed of this word that we're to read. And so it begins like this. There's an opening address in verses 1 through 3. Then we're warned again about deceivers, and that's the, the way in which it's so common uh, to the other writings of John, or the other writings of, of 1 John. Then we get a conclusion in verse 12. Um, one thing I want to point out about this before uh, going verse by verse is to notice the phrase in verse 9, the doctrine of Christ. This phrase is expanded upon in the Book of Mormon. So we'll come back to that and talk about that. But <clears throat> I think in a way that phrase is, is missing from the writings in 1 John um, when it talks about having faith in Christ or believing in Christ. I believe that that is implying the entire doctrine of Christ. And so it's nice to have that phrase here in 2 John and to consider fully what the doctrine of Christ means. Okay, so those are some introductory thoughts. Verse 1 says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children. I would add, too, that that word elect is rife with meaning because there's such a thing as the doctrine of election that we learn from Paul. Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Verse 2, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So the style of that is very similar to the opening salutations from Paul, from Peter, from Jude. And um, grace is always a common denominator in, in, in those introductory words to these epistles. Then John says, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. So that, that could be an, an understatement almost, if we're talking about John's own children. But in much the same way, if he's talking about the children of the church more broadly, uh, th then he is 
he is rejoicing greatly that he found that he's found them walking in truth. Uh, that's a real type of joy and a specific type of joy that we learn about in the Book of Mormon when Ammon meets back with the sons of Mosiah. I want to read that account. Alma says this. Uh, Alma did rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren, and what added more to his joy, they were still his brethren in the Lord. Yea, and they had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth, for they were men of a sound understanding, and they had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know, it, that they might know the word of God. But this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting, therefore they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation, and when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. Well, the, the righteousness of, of these people is expanded upon in that account in Alma. Uh, but something similar is happening here with John because he's rejoicing in thy children, the, the children of the elect lady walking in truth. And again, that's a specific type of joy in the way that it's put in Alma is that what added more to my joy. It's a beautiful phrase. Verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And that's very similar, almost verbatim similar, to what he said in 1 John about this is not new news. Uh, we should love one another. Um, that's different than talking about the old law versus the new law. In this, in this instance, and in 1 John, he's saying that love has been a common element throughout uh, scriptural history. Verse 6, he says, And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Sounds similar to the John who said, If ye love me, keep my commandments, or who recorded that. Verse 7 <clears throat> now uh, goes into another uh, similar element to other of John's writings in 1 John. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So we learn from that that the specific teaching that qualifies them as an antichrist and as a deceiver is those who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, which was the teaching of docetism that was so prominent during this time. And so this, this gives further credence to the idea that this epistle was written to someone else or that, because there is lots of redundancy between this and First John. Here's a quote um, speaking of false prophets and antichrists um, from Elder Ballard. And... Um, even though we've covered this topic a lot in previous chapters, this has a slightly different flavor because when it comes to dealing with characters of this sort, um, Jude will talk about this later, how they can abuse or uh, abuse the grace that's extended towards them in the, in the fellowship of a congregation. Uh, Jude talks about that grace being turned into lasciviousness by these false Christs and false prophets. So uh, Elder Ballard is, is addressing something here that suggests that sometimes we have to be careful um, 
be, because our, our hospitality can be taken advantage of <clears throat> when our congregations are infiltrated. Um, John here was certainly not suggesting that saints should should fail to extend um, common courtesy to those who taught other doctrines. That's not what he's saying. But since uh, a lot of these early Christian congregations um, did worship in the homes of church members, then these traditional customs of hospitality that were all tied up in that could certainly enable these teachers of heresies or these heretical teachers who would infiltrate these congregations. So to that point, Elder Ballard said, let us beware of false prophets and false teachers, both men and women, who are self-appointed declarers of the doctrines of the church and who seek to spread their false gospel and attract followers by sponsoring symposia, books, and journals whose contents challenge fundamental doctrines of the church. Beware of those who speak and publish in opposition to God's true prophets and who actively proselyte others with reckless disregard for their eternal well-being of those who may seduce. Perhaps most damningly, they deny Christ's resurrection and atonement, arguing that no man can save us. They reject the need for a savior. In short, these detractors attempt to reinterpret the doctrines of the church to fit their own preconceived views and in the process deny Christ and his messianic role. In verse 8, John says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And I think John here is talking about the way in which one's testimony can be perishable and, and is perishable and has to be constantly nourished. Or we can lose those things which we have wrought, says John. That is possible. Verse 9 has this beautiful phrase, Whoso transgress, Whosoever transgresseth, transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Hath not God, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So, although there is redundancy in Second John chapter 1, this is a little gem where we understand that um, the doctrine of Christ is, is um, as I mentioned earlier, the, a full understanding of the doctrine of Christ is what is interchangeable or euphemistic almost uh, with with this idea that believing leads you believing only leads you to exaltation or that believing only uh, in Christ or having faith in him uh, leads you to a life where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit abideth in you. The truth is that all that is possible, but there is a specific doctrine of Christ. And John says that if if there come any among you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. So he's, he's actually cautioning you against your usual displays of hospitality in this case because the doctrine of Christ has to be um, presented in its purity and taught with the right authority. And, as John has told us in verse 8, the testimonies of those in these congregations are perishable and they, they, they can be influenced by these corrupting uh, teachings from false Christs. To the doctrine of Christ, 
It's expressed with the most clarity in 3 Nephi chapter 11, verses 31 through 41. Behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will declare unto you my doctrine. And just to press pause here, what a, what a blessing and privilege it is as we read all of Scripture, whenever we have a chance to read the words of the Savior in first person. And that's what's happening here. He's speaking directly to us and directly to the reader. He says in verse 32, And this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me, and I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. And I bear record that the Father commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. And whoso believeth me in me and is baptized, the same shall be saved. And they are they who shall inherit the kingdom of God. So here in the Book of Mormon, we're getting with perfect clarity what this continuum or pathway looks like when we follow the doctrine of Christ. There are specific things that go beyond a professed belief. The first of those is baptism, a priesthood ordinance. Then in verse 34, the Savior says, And whoso believeth not in me and is not baptized shall be damned. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father, and whoso believeth in me believeth in the Father also, and unto him will the Father bear record of me, for he will visit him with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the Father and me. For the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. And again I say unto you, ye must repent, and become as a little child. Interesting to see that as we've been reading through John <clears throat> and seeing the phrase little children so frequently. And be baptized in my name, or ye can in no wise receive these things. And again I say unto you, ye must repent and be baptized in my name, and become as a little child, or ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my doctrine, and whoso buildeth upon this buildeth upon my rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. And whoso shall declare more or less than this, and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil, and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation, and the gates of hell stand open to receive such when the floods come and the winds beat upon them. Therefore go forth unto this people and declare the words which I have spoken unto the ends of the earth. Worth reading, I believe, because of the beautiful clarity of that coming straight from the Savior. And then to um, finish this thought that's given in verse 10, where John says, be careful with allowing these into your home. In verse 11, he says, he that biddeth him Godspeed. In other words, he who extends, extends hospitality to the Antichrist uh, is partaker of, of his evil deeds. I think it's uh, John's way maybe of saying you can't be passive about this. Um, there, there is a war going on between good and evil, and it, uh, we, we, we can't be passive. We have to choose sides and, and uh, take a stand. So then in conclusion, John says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. And other translations say papyrus. 
Uh, that's the medium that John would have had. But I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Uh, I love that, and um, it suggests to me that some things are better spoken face to face, and John knew that. It also uh, creates images of seeing God face to face someday, and that is when our joy will be full, when we're able to face him, which is something that John addresses a lot in 1 John, having the confidence to be able to face him thanks to the doctrine of Christ. He then ends with, The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen.